Amen. How's everyone doing today? That man who just came up here and prayed a powerful prayer. Mark Rado, one of our active leaders here in the house. He is also, as you've probably recognized over the past couple weeks, he's been DJ Marky Mark in the back. As we've been going through our core value series. If this is your first time here to New Philly, I want to say welcome. Welcome. We're glad you made it here. We're glad you made it up the five flights of stairs and you are alive and well. And that must mean that you all are in great physical condition. And so I am glad for that as well. Real quick, I want you to just turn to the person next to you. Just say hello real quick. Just bless them. Introduce yourself. Hello. It's good to see you. You look marvelous today. Really like your outfit. Man, Jesus is awesome. Man, Jesus is awesome. He's just so awesome. Like during worship, during prayer, when we were praying for healing, I just, that's the phrase that I could not get out of my head. Man, Jesus, you're so awesome. Man, Jesus, you are so awesome. Man, he's so good. And his presence is so good. We've been going through a series here, Core Values the... Okay, we still got some work to do. We've got three more messages after this. Core Values the uh, uh, Remix. Okay, everyone, try it again. Everyone, newcomer, I don't care if it's your first time. We're going to all learn how to make a DJ scratch sound with our mouths today. Core Values the... Some of you are like, I don't know what to do. Why is he doing this? He seems weird. That's fine. We are all weird here. And so we welcome your weirdness as well. We've been going through, we, we went through five messages in our core value series as we've been going over the core values of this house. What makes New Philly, New Philly, the mandate that God has given us as a people, as a congregation, because you may attend different churches and every church has the same mandate to exalt the name of Jesus, to make disciples of all nations. But the way in which God desires for those different churches, those different houses to do it are different. Not every church has the same mission. Not every church has the same mandate and we have a different mandate and that's to raise up an army of mighty warriors. We believe that you're not supposed to be a wimp in Christ. You're supposed to be a warrior in Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. You're not supposed to be weak, but God says you're strong. Be strong and courageous. You know, don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. The Lord's with you. When God goes to Gideon in the wine press, he's hiding. And he says, you know what? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's because we believe that every person that walks through this door, inside of them is a seed. Inside of them is a destiny. Inside of them is a potential that God has placed inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And it's for you to be a mighty warrior. It's not for you to just go through church, attend a good service, take some notes, maybe. Check my Facebook Say hello to some people and then leave and go home and continue to walk in the same mire that you were walking in through Monday to Saturday. Now, that's not God's plan. That's not God's desire for your life. 
That's not his desire for your life. Satan would try to convince you that the way things have always been is the way that things will be. The way that you've experienced God, that's just who God is and that's how he is. So just get used to it. But we see in Revelation that the four living creatures, they have eyes front and back and all within. And they look upon God and they never look away because there's always a new revelation of God. You think you know God. You have no idea. Like the MTV show, you know, Diary. You see that back in the day? Have these different celebrities. You think you know me. You have no idea. And then the show would be exactly what I thought. God is totally different, though, beloved. You think you know God. You don't know God. Even if you've walked with him your whole life, you think you know him. There is so much more to him. He's the God who created the heavens and the earth. You can't just, you know, oh, I'll just learn him in a couple years. It's not possible. I say that to you because if you come into this place today, I want to tell you that God has a special breakthrough for you. He has a special revelation. He has something special he wants to give you. I just sensed it all throughout worship. I sensed it through the prayer. I sensed it right now that God has something special for you. He's going to change your mindsets. You're never going to be the same after today. Let me pray for us. Ooh, Holy Spirit's here. We thank you for your presence, Jesus. We thank you for sending your spirit You said you would not leave us alone as orphans, but you would send your Holy Spirit and that he would lead us into all truth. And God, we thank you that today, Lord, you want to lead us into greater amounts of truth because you said in your word, we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. So, God, I pray in this place that as your word is preached, would your anointing fall and God would yokes and bondages upon our mind and upon our lives be broken, God. God, we know that you do not desire for your children to live in bondage. And so, God, I pray today, would you do a fresh work in our lives? Do a new thing. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we went through five core values so far. We went through be extravagant in worship. What's the next one? Come on. Freedom is for everyone. Father the fatherless. Be faithful in the small things. And then last week, the anointing flows from the top down. Our intern pastor, Gina, she came up with a really clever way to memorize the core values. She said, one, you know, like, because when you worship, sometimes you do like this. And so that means to be extravagant in worship. Two, it's like peace. You know, peace. Freedom is for everyone. Three, you know. Three, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Father, the fatherless. I was like, snap, this girl was a genius. Never thought of this before. I could keep going, but we don't have enough time. Wait, four, what was four? Oh, yeah, because your pinky's the smallest, so be faithful in the small things. Here in this house, we're clever. And then number five, the anointing flows from the top down. Uh, Ah, yeah, you didn't see that coming. Everyone do it right now. Come on, go on. Ah, yeah, yeah, you didn't see that one. She said, like, I can't even do it. I'm holding a mic, but six. And so usually you fight like this, so roll with the punches. Seven is a holy number. It's a, it's a divine number, so supernatural is natural. 
number eight. Oh, yeah, you can make a K with it. So that means contend for the kingdom. And then nine's the biggest number. Dream big. Let's give it up for Gina. I was like, man, she is a genius. I never thought of that. Never thought of using your hands. <laughs> so today is the sixth core value. Roll with the punches. Everyone say roll with the punches. Now this roll with the punches is an idiom. It means it typically alludes to boxing. How many of us have ever gotten into a fight before? I'm not, I'm not a boxer, but I remember as a kid, I used to always get into fights with my, my first cousin. He was like my closest cousin. His name was Joel and he was 10 months older than me. 10 months. Cause when you're a little kid, you count every month, He's 10 months older than me. And I remember we used to get in the fights all the time. And one principle I never learned was to roll with the punches. He was so much bigger than me. So when he would punch, I would just eat the fist and I would be on the ground. But roll with the punches. What it means is it's talking about in, in boxing where when a punch is thrown that you don't go against the punch, but you roll with the punch to limit the amount of force that hits your face. And then also to position you for a counter punch. You know, if you, how many people even watch boxing? How many people know what boxing is? Boxing? People have heard of it. Boxing. What, how, what do you call it in Korean? Boxing. 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 In America right now, there's this boxer by the name of Floyd Mayweather Jr. And he's like the pound for pound across every weight class. He is the best boxer. And he's been, he's like in his mid thirties. Everyone thinks he's too old. And he recently, he got into this fight with this guy by the name of Canelo Alvarez, right? And so he's supposed to be like the Latin sensation, like he's from Mexico. And he's won 43 straight fights. Now, Floyd has won 48 straight fights up into that fight. And people are saying, this is the time where Floyd is going down. He's going to get, because Canelo Alvarez, he's, he's taller, he's stronger. They said he's faster, he's younger. And so somebody's going to punch Floyd this time, and he's going to hit Floyd and Floyd's going down. But I remember watching that fight because I remember I was like, everyone was so excited for this fight because they thought this is the time where this legend, this guy who's never lost a fight, he's going to lose. And then as we watched the fight, at the end of the fight, everyone was astounded because Floyd Mayweather, he won the fight easily. Like he just, he just dismantled this guy. Everyone was shocked. We were like, he's the Latin sensation. How does he get beat up by this old guy? Now, 36, 37, that's not old, but in the world of boxing, it's up there. And so, but after a while, all these boxing guys, they were looking at it, and they're like, how was Floyd able to do it? Because he would get in there, and, and Canelo, my, don't worry about my form, my form's not great, but he would come in, you know, and, and just Floyd would, sometimes he would hit him straight in the face, and Floyd would turn, and he would just move out of the way. And every time the punch was thrown, it was like he was never getting knocked down. He was getting hit, but he wasn't getting hit. In fact, every time a punch was thrown by Alvarez, it would, he would get hit. But it was almost as if he wanted to get hit because it put him in a better position just to hit Alvarez. And so by the end of the fight, everyone was shocked because they were like, man, Floyd, he's not so good because of his offense. The reason he's such an amazing fighter is because of his defense. It's because he can, someone can hit him, but he knows how to roll with the punches in such a way that he doesn't get knocked down. 
In fact, he's in such a great position to punch back. I'd say Floyd Mayweather is kind of different than uh, Manny Pacquiao. How many people know who Manny Pacquiao is? You've heard of and then, and then the rest of us need to just, you know, visit ESPN.com. <laughs> Manny Pacquiao, really famous Filipino fighter. And, and he's really famous. He's a, a huge Christian. We go to do ministry, actually, in his hometown. And there's pictures of him everywhere, always wearing white. It's really weird, but it's interesting. But he's always there. He's a congressman. And he's supposed to be, like, the biggest fighter to take down Floyd. And so there was this huge uh, promo up for them fighting. But then before Pacquiao's fight, he got into a fight with this guy named, I think, Marquez, this Mexican fighter. And Pacquiao isn't known for his defense. He's known for his offense. So Pacquiao will jump in, and he'll just hit them with a flurry of punches. And he'll overwhelm the guy with his offense. And so he gets in there against Marquez, and he comes in overwhelming him with his punches. But Marquez lands one punch, and Pacquiao goes straight down. You look at the, you look at the photo, he's like face down on the mat. And everyone's just, (gasps) you know why he went down? Because he was going against the punch rather than rolling with it. See, so many believers in the body of Christ, when things come our way, when punches are thrown, when, because life is full of surprises, right? We don't, we're not really sure what's going to happen tomorrow. We can, we like to plan. I know a lot of us like to plan. We like our plans. We want to know the future. We want to know what's going to happen in our lives. But so often in life, Things don't happen the way that we would like for them to happen. And there's punches that are thrown. Sometimes the enemy will send certain attacks and certain things our way and God will allow it. Sometimes our family members will get sick or there'll be a financial situation. Or maybe that person that we want to treat us a certain way doesn't treat us the way that we think they should treat us. And and a lot of times what happens to us is when that punch is thrown, we're trying to go against the punch. We get knocked down. And we're never in a position to just roll with the punch. Rolling with the punches is also defined by the Oxford Dictionary as well as the free online dictionary as the ability to adjust and adapt to negative circumstances. It's the ability to adjust, the ability to counterattack, the ability to bounce back when things don't happen in your life the way that you want it to happen. When you, you're, you get fired from your job. When that person continues to be mean to you, that person continues to hurl insults at you. It's the ability to bounce back when things in life don't happen the way that you would want them to happen. Or when you encounter situations that you wouldn't necessarily want for yourself or that you're not used to. That's rolling with the punches. Everyone say rolling with the punches. punches. You know... In boxing, if you deflect the full force of that punch, because you can't control how much that person is going to punch at you. But if you deflect the, the force of that punch by rolling with it, it causes less damage. But if you go against the punch, it causes so much more damage. And for so many of us, when things happen in our lives, the first thing we do is we resist, right? And it causes damage. It causes internal damage. It causes relational damage. It causes damage in our relationship with God, with others. Because we have an inability to roll with the punches. Actually, our ability to deal with criticism, conflict, differing opinions, and negative criticism, it's all summed up in our ability to roll with the punches. 
You know, God desires for us to be people that roll with the punches. But there's a problem. There's a reason why you and I are not able to roll with the punches. And the reason why most of us have trouble rolling with the punches when things happen in our lives, when things happen to us that we don't like and we resist is because we, you and I, we're control freaks. You heard that term before, control freak? You know, we like to be in control. And I think this is beyond our temperament. At New Philly, we love these temperaments called, it's called personality plus. And so there's four temperaments. You have your, you have your choleric, your melancholy, your sanguine, and your phlegmatic, right? There's four different temperaments. And I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. If you're walking up to a river, for example, you're walking up to a river, the choleric says, how and when are we going to cross the river? Like they're thinking of a plan right now. They're already constructing a bridge to cross the river. They're the goal-oriented individual. The melancholy is thinking, they walk up to the river, they're like, why do we have to cross the river? You know, they're the introspective person. They're asking questions. Why do we have to do this? I need some reasons. Give me reasons why we need to cross the river. The sanguine person is in the river having a pool party. You know, they're just like, oh, this is so much fun. We're trying to get to the other side, sanguine. Oh, this is so much fun. And the phlegmatic is in the inner tube lounging, crossing the river. Like, it's all good. It's all good. I'm a phlegmatic. <laughs> phlegmatic people, they're the people who it's, it comes easier to roll with the punches for them. But each and every one of us, we still have a problem with control. We are control freaks. We have a tendency to want to control everything, don't we? We like control. We like safety. We like predictability. You know, Pastor Give me a plan. I want everything in advance. I need to know exactly how things are going to happen. Give me a plan. Give me a four-point thing on how it's going to happen. I need to be in control. I remember when I went to India, uh, my very first mission trip, like I said, I am a very, I'm a huge phlegmatic. I'm a very laid-back individual. So if stuff happens around me, I'm like, you know, it's all good. It's all good. Why are you, tr- why are you stressing? It's all good. But we, we were going to India for our first mission trip. I had never been on a mission trip before in my life. Like, Pastor Christian's like, we want you to lead the India missions team. And my response to him was, what is a mission trip? Do I have to lead it? Because I don't know what a mission trip is. And he's like, go, go figure it out. And so I go to Wikipedia. And I was like, missions trip. I was like, that didn't make any sense. And I remember going and we had this team. And our team was filled with... Goal-oriented people, people who love plans, they love schedules. And I remember two months before we even left, like I just found out the country. I was getting emails from certain members of the team, some of which may be in this room. And they were saying, Marcus, where's the plan? Can you send us the schedule? We're freaking out. We got a lot of things we need to do because, and I, I felt, I was like, hey, it's all good. Don't worry about it. And then they go to Pastor Christian, Pastor Marcus is so irresponsible. Why isn't he sending me the, the schedule? I've forgiven them. Don't worry. It's fine. <laughs> we have a tendency to want to control everything. We want to know everything in advance. We want to have a plan. We want things to be clear. And even if things are uncertain, we like to give ourselves the illusion of control and clarity, don't we? But God doesn't work that way. How many of you guys know that God, 
he oftentimes doesn't like to give the plan in advance. God oftentimes doesn't like to tell us everything that's going to happen and lay it out for us in a spreadsheet. God doesn't sometimes like to give us the itinerary for our lives. Or even for the particular people that are in our lives. He says in Isaiah 55, 9, he says, for my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. I love in I love what Paul says in Romans eleven thirty three. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Try to search out the ways of God, try to search out his judgments, but they're unsearchable. God is a God of mystery. God is a God who doesn't always give us the answers, doesn't always tell us where we're supposed to go next year, where we're supposed to go next month, even. And sometimes God even allows certain things to happen in our lives that we would not foresee and that we don't want. And it's hard for us to see why. And a lot of times we have trouble adjusting and rolling with the punches. I'm going to give you three areas where we need to where we need to roll with the punches. Okay, it's going to be good. The first area is in our relationships and friendships. I want to tell you, you got to be able to roll with the punches in your relationships and friendships with people if you want to have friends. You know, this is not supernatural revelation right here. This is just straight up. If you want to have friends, if people are going to like you and want to be around you, you've got to learn how to roll with the punches. Pastor Christian, when he first introduced his core value, he he talked about being rolling with the punches in marriage. And he was saying, you know what? When people get older, the more rigid they, they get, they have a set schedule on how they do things. And he's like, if you can't adjust that schedule, it's probably good that you not get married. Because once you get married, everything changes. I was like, snap. There's a witness over here. It reminded me of a conversation I had with a brother at Torch Trinity, the seminary I went to. And this brother, he was, he was about 42. He was a little over 40. And me and him were talking. And I was like, and, and I don't know how we got to this conversation, how we got to this topic, but we started talking about relationships and marriage. And uh, it's, it comes up sometimes, you know. I'm human. And we were just talking, and I was like, hey, man, you know, are you, like, is there anyone out there for you, man? Like, are you wanting to get married? And he's like, yes, I would love to get married. Man, I would love to have a wife. I'm missing rib. I'd love a wife. I'm like, all right, brother. Hallelujah. You know what? I'm going to pray right now. Come on, Lord. I just, it's just, and he's like, but I'm like, okay, hold on. Time out. Pause, Lord. But you know, if I get, I mean, I like eating what I like to eat. You know, I like waking up whenever I want to. I like wearing whatever I want to wear. I like doing whatever I want to do. And I just feel like if I get married, it's going to just jack all that up. I looked at him and I said, you know what? It's probably better you not. (laughs) He was like, you know, I want this. I had this desire, but I don't want to change. And 
I'm not talking specifically about marriage, but friendships and relationships in general. We wonder why our friendships and our relationships become become unhealthy or they begin to crumble. Usually it's because we're unwilling to roll with the punches. You know, like you have that friend that's constantly insisting on their own way. First Corinthians 13, five, it says that love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. You know, for many of us, our relationships, our friendships have crumbled because we're constantly insisting on our own way. Whenever people want to be around us, we, it, they have to meet a certain criteria or we have to always do what that person wants to do or we have to always eat what that person wants to eat or we have to always, every time you're around someone, it always becomes a discussion and an argument in which you have to prove that you're right. If that's what your relationships look like with people, it's going to be really hard for you to have lasting friendships. So we have to learn how to roll with the punches. Paul talks about how love does not insist on its own way. And then he also says that it's not angry or resentful. It's not bitter or resentful. But I think Paul does this because bitterness and resentment usually come because we're insisting on our own way in our relationships with people. You know, whenever we find ourselves struggling with bitterness, resentfulness, find ourselves having a hard time connecting with people, it's usually because we've been insisting on our own way and people aren't doing what we want them to do. Why didn't they, why aren't they speaking to me the way that I want them to speak? Why aren't they doing what I thought they should do? I've been sowing in their life for so long and then they do this. I've been their friend for so long and now they do this. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves bitter, angry, resentful. That punch comes and we don't know how to roll with it. We don't know how to adjust or to adapt. And so what begins to happen is that our relationships begin to crumble. Because we've not learned how to roll with the punches. I mean, everyone has that friend, right? You're not that friend. We have that friend. Where every time you meet up, it's all about where they want to go. It's all about what they want to do. Whenever you start talking about something, they never open up their heart for you to speak into their life. It's always about, but it's still always about them. Our generation is so self-centered. Facebook just feeds into it. We're, we're so self-absorbed. All we care about is our own way, our self-image, what people think about us. But all that does is destroy your relationships. See, I'll give you one area you need to roll with the punches. I'll give you one key. You need to roll with the punches in your relationships. And the way that you do that, the way that you guard yourself against insisting on your own way, and the way you guard yourself against becoming bitter, angry, and resentful is recognizing that you need to be secure in your identity in Christ. See, for so many of us, we walk around trying to control other people. We're insisting on our own way. And maybe, maybe you're not the kind of person that says it up front, you know. Maybe you're not the kind of person that tells exactly and always is doing it that way. But maybe you use manipulation. Maybe you're more covert in the way that you do it. But at the end of the day, we seek to control people. 
We want people to do exactly what we want them to do. And if not, we get angry and we want to separate ourselves from them. And that's ultimately because we look to people to be our source of love. And we look to people to be our source of security. But see, when you realize that neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons, nothing in the past, present or future can separate you from the love of God. When you recognize that everyone can reject you, but if God is for you, who can be against you? When you recognize that if God is with you, what shall you fear? Then that removes any, that removes the desire to want to control people. To want to control our relationships. You know, actually the first step in having a healthy relationship with anyone is recognizing this rule. That the only person you can control on a good day is yourself. The only person you have the ability to control. I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care if you're just attending. The only person you have the ability to control on a good day is yourself. But many of us, because of fear and because of feelings of insecurity and because we don't know that God has died for us and he's given us everything and it cannot be taken away. We want to control our relationships with people. But God says, listen, don't you know how much I love you? You can forgive that person because they didn't take anything from you. When they said that, when they did that, why, why are you so bitter? Why? Because oh, well, they didn't do what I wanted them to do. They didn't act the way that I thought they should act. And God looks at him and he says, hey, but they didn't take anything from you. You're secure in me. The second way we need to be, we need to roll with the punches is in our ministry and our mindset. You know, so many times we can be stuck in our own theology and beliefs that we cut ourselves off from new moves of God. You know, we get stuck on how things used to be or that church that we attended before we came. So then whenever we enter into a new place, we're unable to discern what God is doing in that place because we're so stuck on the old. I mean, I remember when I first got saved there was a song by, uh, I think it was Starfield. So I got saved and I, I'm a huge hip hop person, but all of a sudden all my Christian friends were like, Hey, listen to this music. And I was like, what is that string sound? Is that like a guitar? Like what, what is this? Like, why is there a band? Like I'm used to just heavy beats and hip hop. And, but there was this one song I remember right after I got saved, I got saved in 2006 in a song called, uh, cry of my heart by Starfield. There's a cry in my heart. For your glory to fall, for your presence to fill up my senses. I remember listening to that. that every time I listen to it, I cry. <laughs> and then there was, that, there was a song, you know, I can sing of your love forever, right? I can sing of your love forever. I was always, always like, I'd be driving down to, oh, I feel like dancing. <laughs> Foolishness, I know. You know? I was like so filled with joy. I love those songs. I was like, I don't even know who these bands are, but it's anointed. And I was like, that girl can sing. I didn't even know Christians could sing like that. But then I noticed over time, like the more and more I listened to that song, the less anointed it felt. You know, and even recently, I remember I was like, oh, man, I was feeling like, you know what? I want to go back. I'm going to go back to my first love. So I'm throwing on cry in my heart. There's a cry in my heart. Pause. Oh, my gosh. 
I could sing of it. I just cut on something else. I cut on some hill song. It was some heavy electronic music and stuff. And it was, I was like, yes, Jesus, yes. Because what I realized was that during that time when I first became a believer, God was breathing on that. God was breathing on those songs and those songs were meaningful. But there comes a time where God stops breathing on a certain thing and he starts breathing on something else. He starts anointing something else. Maybe your past church, maybe your salvation experience. I'm not doubting it. I'm not saying it wasn't powerful. But you got to recognize that God, he too is a person and you cannot control God. And God is someone who's always renewing, always doing new things. And so many of us can get so wrapped up in our old mindsets that we're unable to discern that God's doing a new thing. That's why God has to say in Isaiah 43, 19, forget the former things. Consider not the ways of old. For behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Many times our perception can get messed up. Jesus says in Matthew 9, 17, he says, neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. You know, many of us walk around with old wineskin minds and hearts. You know, what God used to pour his wine into, what God used to touch us with, but God's not pouring new wine into that anymore and our hearts become rigid, legalistic, and rule-based. And then we walk into a new environment. We walk into a place, maybe your church growing up was a church that said, Like the church that I used to attend in North Carolina, they said that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today. They said the power of God cannot is not poured out today. It's only in the preaching. And that's the only time where we can see the power of God is in the preaching. That's prophecy. But there's no prophecy. There's no pouring out of the Holy Spirit. There's no gifts of the Holy Spirit that are in operation today. And then I remember coming to this church and stepping into these walls and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, experiencing the presence and someone praying for me and prophesying for me. And my head almost exploded. Because I was so used to what I was experiencing in the past. And I had this old wineskin kind of mentality. So that when I was in an environment where God was doing something new and something different, I had, my heart was not at a place where I could actually receive it. So many of us, we judge new moves of God by the old moves of God. God used to do, well, that's not how God does it at my church. That's not how God did it with me growing up. That's not how God, and then God's like, well, you're not there anymore. You're here. And this is what I'm doing here. And you got to open up your mind and your heart to receive it. I love in Acts, I believe it's Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 The gospel has went out to the Jews and there's thousands upon thousands of Jews that are being saved. And then God gives Peter a dream. He gives Peter the dream and it's it's this sheet, this white sheet he sees in this vision. And and on it's like, you know, shrimp and I don't know. There's all kinds of different foods. There's all kinds of seafood, everything that they should not eat. It's like Sunday's probably on there. There's probably like all kinds of stuff that... That everyone eats here. What's that silkworm? What's that called? Bundegi. Every time I hear that, I, I always think that's a bad word. <laughs> Bundegi. 
You know, there's probably Bundegi on there. And Peter's like, what is this? And God's like, you know, kill and eat. He's like, I ain't trying to eat that. I'm allergic to seafood, God. And he's doing it, telling Peter, listen, you, are, you need to ingest the new move of God that I'm doing. You need to let this new move come inside of you. And then he sends him out to Cornelius, who's a Gentile. And Peter begins to preach to Cornelius. But before he can ever finish his sermon, before he gets to the end of the message, before there's an altar call, the Holy Spirit comes in power. And all of a sudden, Cornelius and his whole family are speaking in tongues, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Peter looks at it, and even the the Jews that were with him, they say, we can't deny that God is doing a new thing. Now, we cannot deny that the gospel has went out to the Gentiles. For many of us today, we walk in a church where people are speaking in tongues, and we get freaked out. What what are they saying? What are you saying? I can't even understand. And we don't like it. Or we go to a church where maybe they're, pre- maybe they're preaching and the unction of the Holy Spirit is very different. And instead of receiving it, we cut off our minds. That can happen in other ways, too, when we begin to rely on methods more than the presence of God. When we begin to rely simply on a prophetic word that God spoke long ago than rather what he's speaking right now. You know, the key to rolling with the punches in, in your ministry and your mindset is to recognize just like you can't control people, the Holy Spirit can't be controlled. You know, if you want to roll with the punches and recognize what God is doing and recognize the new things that God is doing around you, you've got to make it your priority not to control God, but to be with God. Not to control God, but to be in God's presence. See, because when you are in God's presence, you begin to do what God does. Jesus said that he only does what he sees the Father doing. Because Jesus was with the Father. He saw what he was doing and he made it a priority to be in God's presence. And therefore, he could discern when God was doing something new. For many of us, we work work and we work and we work and we want God to anoint what we're doing. Or we want God to anoint what used to happen in the past. Or we want God to anoint those things. But God is sitting up in heaven. He's saying, hey, hey, you know what I do is already anointed. God, would you, would you just say that what I'm thinking is right? Would you just come alongside my mindset? You know, we take our mindsets and the way that we've learned things. And we bring those things before God as if they're righteous. But God says, hey, hey, why don't you start discerning what I'm doing? Why don't you just start discerning my new move? Why don't you start discerning where I'm moving now? Because what God does is already anointed. I'm the director of creativity here in the house. And I love ideas. I love coming up with ideas. I love coming up with new ideas. That's my gift. When I took strength finders, it's ideation. I can sit in a room all day and just come up with ideas. It's kind of weird. I'm not that big of a nerd, but still... And, but I would come up with all these ideas, but God began to say, Marcus, you know what? You're coming up with all these plans, all these ideas, but how many of those ideas are my ideas? How many of those things are things that, that I'm breathing upon? Are you spending the kind of time with me that you can recognize not just the ability to make ideas, but the ability to do and recognize what I'm doing? 
See, when you begin to prioritize the presence of God, when you begin to prioritize being with God, then it makes it a lot easier to roll with the punches. When you step into a place where they're doing things that you think are weird or you don't understand, if you can recognize the presence of God, you know that that's a place where you can be. The last thing, the last way that we roll with the punches is, and this is one I want to focus on, is in our negative circumstances. I start off saying that, you know, life is full of surprises. And many times we get hit with so many different things left and right. There's so many things that happen in our lives. But as I was preparing this sermon, I just felt like God was saying, you know what? How do I deal with punches that are thrown? I want you all to turn to John 11. And we're going to spend the rest of the message here in this passage. And I think this is probably one of the best examples of Jesus rolling with the punches. John chapter 11. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother's Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I think that's a message in and of itself. The one whom you love, he who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. I want to paint a picture for you. Jesus has these three people that he loves, he hangs out with, he goes and eats gogi with, he always sends and spends time with. He has these three people that he really loves in this town of Bethany, and it's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Lazarus all of a sudden gets sick. Lazarus gets ill, and it's not like, you know, Lazarus did anything to get sick. I mean, every time you caught a cold, it's not always that you've done something stupid. Sometimes. You know, but most of the time you just catch a cold and he gets sick. He gets suddenly sick and he gets deathly ill. And I don't know if you've ever had a punch like that thrown in your life where someone you care about or something happens in your life that you don't see coming, but it comes suddenly. And it comes fast and it's hard and and it looks like it's going to end in death. Where a negative circumstance comes, maybe you find out that you're getting let go from your job that week. Or maybe something happens in your family. Where you find out that your loved one is sick or your loved one is ill. I mean, this is Jesus in this situation. He's just walking up to Bethany and he's just walking up to the city wanting to just hang out with his three closest people in the town. And they say, check it out. Lazarus is ill. The one you love, the one that you think about, the thing that you love, he is ill. And a lot of times in our lives, the things that we love, the people we love, they punches are thrown and those things begin to deteriorate rather quickly. But the funny thing is, is that Jesus's response in that moment was not like, oh, snap, Lazarus is, he's going to die. That's going to, I got to get through this. Many times when punches are thrown towards us, our response is that we need to get through it. I just got let go from my job. My job is hard. My family's acting like this. My money's like, pastor, can you just pray for me? Can you just help me to get through it? This hard situation. Can I just help me to get through it? But Jesus, he doesn't actually talk about getting through it. 
In fact, when they approach him, they say, listen, Jesus, the one whom you love is ill. Jesus says, check it out. This illness will not result in death. But in fact, this has happened so that the son of God, so that God's glory and the son of God will be glorified through it. See, when and this is so different than how we think, because, see, when we get punched, a lot of times we can easily become depressed. We can easily get down on ourselves. We can easily find ourselves bitter and resentful. But when a punch is thrown at Jesus, Jesus sees every punch as an opportunity for God's glory to be displayed. See, the way God views negative circumstances is very different than the way we do. When it happened, when it came at him that Lazarus was dying, he didn't freak out. He said, no, you know what? This is an opportunity for God's glory to be displayed. How many of us, when someone gets sick, says, oh, snap, this is an opportunity for God's glory to be displayed. When we get fired from our job, you know what? You're fired. You know, this is an opportunity for God's glory to be displayed, right? God's going to be glorified in this firing. No, no one says that. A lot of times we say a lot of other things. You know, when your friends betray you or your or people that are close to you, they do things that you would not expect them to do or you wouldn't want them to do. How many of us look at that situation and say, you know what? Even though this has happened, this is an opportunity for God to be glorified. And the interesting thing is rolling with the punches. I want to make this clear. is not denial. It's not denial. For many of us, when we think of rolling with the punches, we think, oh, well, a punch is thrown. So we need to just smile and make sure that everyone knows we're OK. You know, earlier this year, I went to the doctor and and they told me that they had found things in my thyroid. And my and my immediate my immediate temptation in that moment was to smile and make sure everyone knows I'm OK and act like everything's all right. But even Jesus doesn't do that. He finds out Lazarus is ill. He declares that God will be glorified in it. But even when he gets to where Lazarus's body is, he actually, he weeps. That means he recognizes that this negative situation is hard. He recognizes that the punch has landed, but he also recognizes that that punch will not knock him out. He recognizes that that punch will not take him down, that he may have been hit. Lazarus may even be dead and he can mourn it for a second, but he knows that he will resurrect. He knows that God will be glorified in it. See, the way in which we view our negative circumstances in life is so key to whether or not we're able to roll with the punches. A lot of times when problems come, we shift immediately into problem solving. How can I fix it? How can I make it happen? How can I? Or we go immediately into depression. But Jesus didn't do either. He, he, take his, he took his time. And Mary and Martha were upset at him. Why, why didn't you rush? He took his time. He didn't allow the negative circumstance to dictate his pace of life. He encountered it. He allowed himself to experience the full brunt of what was happening. And then he dealt with it. And he brought Lazarus back to life. And in fact, I think this is the way that God views sin in general. You know, in in Genesis chapter three, we see the fall. We see that our our parents, we see Adam and Eve, they they eat the fruit and they they sin against God. 
And we see that God deals with it and God actually mourns over their sin. You see, in Genesis chapter six, he looks at man and he says, God says probably one of the most astounding statements in all of scripture. He says that he regretted that he even created man. He looked at all of it and he wept. And you can see throughout the Old Testament, God's heart towards sin. It's not something where he looks at it as like, oh, this is nothing. But ultimately, God looks at sin not just as something to be mourned over and something to grovel about. But ultimately, God sees sin as an opportunity for his glory to be displayed. See, for many of us, when we struggle in sin, when we struggle in certain areas, we get down on ourselves so quickly and we start beating ourselves up and we start groveling. But God looks at it and he says, you know what? Where you're struggling right there, that's an opportunity for me to be glorified. Where you're struggling, where you've been torn up and and bound up with bitterness, I'm going to be glorified in your freedom. I'm going to be glorified in your deliverance. I'm going to be glorified in your healing. I'm going to be glorified in all of it. You know, Jesus, more than Lazarus, Jesus accomplished the greatest roll with the punch is roll with the punches ever in human history. He looked at our sin. He looked at our condition, our continual desire to want to control our lives, to be control freaks, to want to be the ones that control everything. He looked at all of that and he didn't judge us, even though he did weep about it, even though it was something that affected his heart. He decided that he would take on that very nature. He would come down and he would take on the form of a servant. He would become a human God taking on human flesh. I mean, that in and of itself is crazy. That's a new thing that the Pharisees weren't willing to wrap their minds around. But not only that, but that he would die. He took on our illness, but it was an illness that did not lead to death. But rather, when he rose from the grave, it was something where God is glorified and the son is glorified through it. Why am I talking about the cross, why am I talking about the gospel and why am I ending with this? It's because ultimately our inability to roll with the punches has to do with our perception of the gospel. Our inability to roll with the punches, to move with the spirit, to discern what God is doing. Ultimately, it comes down to the fact that we don't quite recognize that Jesus, he has already paid it all. That he loves us. And he's awesome. And that when you face these circumstances, even when you can't control people and when you are in situations where things are new, you can recognize, you know what? God showed his love for me in this, that while I was a sinner, he died for me. That even though this circumstances come against me, I know when I look at the cross that nothing can separate me from the love of God. It's all good. It is well. All is well. I want us to go into a time of prayer right now.